Hi, I'm Casey. And I'm Katie. And I'm John. Did you have something else to say? Well, it's relevant to the to the show topic. So do you want to kind of introduce the show and then I'll tell you my thoughts? <laughs> he like made us see, like think that he had this whole thing prepared. Do, He's I like, I've got something. something to say in the intro. So that's why we hesitated. We oh. were waiting for him to say something. I want you to tease <laughs> the topic of this, okay. this episode. Well, let me first thank everyone for listening. <laughs> this is the ninth episode. We're almost to episode 10. We did promise to have a cupcake next week. So we're going to have a cupcake and we'll post it on Instagram and split it into four pieces and eat it. Um, but thank you for listening to the Turning Tables podcast. Um, this is the week after Thanksgiving. Hopefully all of you had a great holiday. And um, it's pretty timely, actually, that we're talking about this subject today. Indeed. Yeah. So today we are talking about immigration. Um, and I know that this can be a somewhat heated topic um, it can be really painful for some people to talk about just depending on what your experience is. Maybe you're listening and you don't have much to say about it. You haven't thought a ton about this issue. Um, you've seen things on the news. You see things on Facebook. You see people arguing on Facebook and you're really not sure where <laughs> you stand on the topic of immigration. Um, but I think it is important for us to remember, you know, at the time that we're listening to this, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Our country was built, um, because of immigration. I mean, mm -hmm. the U.S. exists because of immigration. For instance, right now, our country is made up of about 13% first-generation immigrants, meaning people who came here from another country. I think it is important for us to reflect on the fact that we did do a lot of things wrong. The people who came here um, hurt a lot of people to claim land, and we have to come to terms with that. But this country was built because of people immigrating here. Um, before we dive into the topic and bring out on our guest for today, I, I think it would be appropriate to read the quote that is on the Statue of Liberty. Um, this is what people saw when they immigrated here on Ellis Island. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And today we want to talk about how as Christians do we respond to immigration? How do we treat the foreigner and the refugee? What is the biblical response to this? Um, and we're really excited to bring on our guest today. He is um, a pastor in the St. Louis area, but he's also a father of our guest. Well, not a father, but the father of our guest from um, last week. He is um, a father-in-law to a guest that we had on a couple weeks ago, Jared Irby. He is the dad of Anna Irby. So without um, further ado, I'd love to bring on Carlos Noah. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to, to be here. Uh, it's, it's always interesting, and I always love to share the, the story because um, you, you mentioned, uh, Katie, in, in your introduction, about the whole idea of what's our response and what and the the uh, passage or the quote that you read from the Statue of, of Liberty certainly applied to me and, and and to my family. So it's a it's a very important topic mm -hmm. for 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 me and and for the people that and I know. Why don't you just dive in and you can share as much or as little as you want. We may ask some questions while you're sharing, but we just love to hear your story as much or as little as you want to share. Okay. Well, I will, 
uh, I, it's a it's a long story, so okay. I I will <laughs> I will share the things that I think are are most key. Uh, it's a long story because it, uh, there is no story that we have on our journey that is a short story, right? Because there's a lot of things that lead up to the story and a lot of things that happen during the the, the story. Um, but uh, I was only six years old when I came to, to, to this country. Um, and the background is, uh, this is 1970 when we came. And when I say we, I came with my mom. And the, a, a little backstory there was, so in 1959, there was a revolution, what we call the revolution. And that's when Castro took over uh, in a uh, very uh, long and Interesting thing. As a matter of fact, many of the people in Cuba at that time, since the Batista government before Castro was corrupted, they thought that this was great. Mm. Um, it, it, it turned out, though, that when Castro took over, uh, when he asked for help for the American government, they weren't really happy with that. So he got help from Russia, who was oh. all too willing to help. Oh. <laughs> in, the, in the early years, in the early years in this context, this is in the early 1960s, People might have heard about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and, and I still know people today that will come to me and will apologize uh, as the Cuban person how much they feared and hated Cubans because of what happened back then. So they, they come and they say, hey, I'm so sorry. But anyway, back to my story. Oh. <laughs> um, so in, uh, in, in the early 60s, some people may have heard of the of the um, of the attempt of the of over um, overthrowing Castro, and it was a, um, a a thing called the Bay of Pigs. And what the Bay of Pigs was was they had some the American government, the CIA, and there's a lot of things that you can read about that. But they uh, trained some Cubans to overthrow the government. On the night that it happened. Uh, Planes, U.S. planes were actually over uh, in the air, deployed, and because of a complicated story, and I don't want to get into it, and you can cut this all out later no, if you great. want. This is great. Um, um, the president of the United States at the time, Kennedy, decided, you know, no, this is not a good idea. Let's turn him around. Well, we don't have, the, they didn't have cell phones like, like we have now. So the Cubans on the island that were ready to overthrow the government were very easily captured. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was, that was a disgrace. Uh, it was a very, very bad thing. So the, and so we had that. We have the Cuban Missile Crisis. So what the two U.S the U.S. government and the Cuban government agreed to say, hey, we'll, we'll do a, an agreement that if any Cuban-born citizen on the island is willing to leave the country and they have a blood relative in the United States that are willing to sponsor them, then they can leave. Uh, well, that's, so my grandmother had a sister in the States that said, yeah, yeah. Uh, however, that process of when you said, yes, I want to leave, to when we actually got to leave, took four years. Wow. Yes. So what happened in those four years, um, my, uh, 
My parents got divorced. My mother went to live with her parents. So the four of us uh, that were going to leave, we had to wait for our turn to come up. In the meantime, my mother, who was a school teacher, they didn't want a person who wanted to leave the country for political reasons to be teaching the kids. It actually makes sense, right? Yeah. So she got sent to a chicken farm to <laughs> uh, pick eggs. You wow. know? This so is she, during the time that you guys are still in Cuba. This so is she, during the time that we're in, in okay, Cuba. Okay, so she lost her job, I guess, and had to go. Yes. <laughs> now, the Cuban government uh, fed the people, yeah. so uh, we got to have some uh, some food. Yeah, my mom would take eggs from the farm okay. and she would put them in her purse. And when I was when when I got she got home, she would crack the egg and feed me the egg, raw egg, what? you know, wow. as a source of protein. Don't you know? That's 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 <laughs> what we did. So what happened was so okay, so that's the life. My uncle, her brother was a political prisoner because he was protesting Castro. So he got sent to prison. My mother would go visit him, taking the train. She would, I mean, this is like the movies, right? She would bake things in the cake, little nose <gasps> from his wife or little razor blades so that they can shave, things like that. Take him, give them to him. I mean, and she was like a star, right? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all good. My, uh, so my, but my uncle finally got to leave before we did. Um, so what happened was, okay, so, so, I mean, this is the kind of life, you know, I was a boy and I was fine because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a kid, but one day I'm in school and my family obviously was not a Castro backer, but what you don't do is you don't say publicly, Hey, we don't like Castro. Uh, I didn't know that. Oh no. <laughs> So what happened was we had a field trip one day to a tobacco factory. The Cuban tobaccos or cigars, as, as, as you call them, are well known and they're famous. So we went to the tobacco factory because every Cuban is proud of the tobacco factory. Sure. So I'm looking at the tobacco. Now I'm five years old and I'm walking around and I'm saying, why does Castro own all this? What's up with that? Oh my gosh, you would have thought that I said fire in a crowded theater. Everybody kind of, that, although they didn't scream, it was quite the opposite. Everybody just got really quiet. Yeah. So I said, hmm, I wonder what happened here. So that evening, the teacher took me to my, uh, to my grandparents' home and said, hey, this is what Carlos did. He said this, and you know what? He can't say that. We won't tell anybody that he said that, but you got to tell him not to say that. And I share that story only because, um, so I'm five years old, and what I learned that day was, you're not allowed to speak your mind. You're not allowed to share your feelings, and you're not allowed to say what you think is true. Wow. And what is true. Yeah. Um, and so for, so for a five-year-old, that's a lot to, to process. Anyway, so the, the day came where 1970, and my grandparents got the, got the news that they got to leave. So my grandmother said, there is no way that I am leaving without Carlos and Ana. Ana is my mother's name. Uh, and it's, there, there's just no way. Well, her friends convinced her you know what, you have got to go, because if you don't go, the, the, the fact that your number came up means that they are, they are like right there. So if you don't go and they get to go, you'll stay be behind. So they convinced my grandparents to go. 
29 days later, on June 29th, my grandmother's birthday, we got the notice to go. And what happens is this. So we got to leave on June 29th. I believe it's a Friday. I'm not sure what day. Uh, but like on Wednesday then of that week, you're told you're, you, you can go. So what you're allowed to do is you take one suitcase, you pack it up with whatever you want, and that's the one suitcase you get to go, to take. My mother packed it up with pictures. I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, think about it. You're going to leave your home right now, John or Katie. When, what do you get to take? Casey, right now, you have 10 hours. You take what you want to take, and it's one suitcase. Um, So my mom took pictures. Then, Then the day after we get the news, we drive to the airport, and we spend the night there. And the problem was that it's June 29th. Now it's, it's hot. It's mm-hmm. a hot island. It really, really is, and it's hot in, in, in summer. I, I got sick, and uh, uh, it was a funny story now in retrospect. It was harrowing, but so it's the morning of. The plane is there in the tarmac. We got to walk to it. And I'm telling my mother, who woke me up, hey, let's go. I don't feel well. And she looked at me. She looked me square in the eye. And she says, no, you feel fine. You are okay. Because <laughs> what happened is, this is on one chance. Yeah. You go back for whatever reason because you're sick, not you're gone. not going. Mm-mm. It's that simple. Uh, so we're, we're, <laughs> this, this, we're walking to the airplane. Okay, she, I'm, I'm walking next to her. And, and, and I said, you know, mom, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really sick. She goes, no, really, really, you're not sick. You're fine. Keep walking and don't tell anybody you're sick. But I am. At that moment when I said, but I am, I threw up. And she catches the, the, no. yeah, no. she catches it in midair in her oh. hand, puts it in her purse oh, like it's a thing that. you do, and kept on walking. Oh my gosh. And uh, it, it, wow. it, I didn't she have much in my Oh, I'm telling you, yeah. she, she, I mean, she's, there's no way that we're staying on the island. Oh my gosh. Um, so, so that's how we got out. That's the day that we got out. That year, six months later, at the end of 1970, they stopped that, that program. Wow. So we got out just under the skin. Wow. Yeah. Incredible story. Now, where did you move when you came here? Where did you go? Exactly. So where does one go when they're from Cuba? They go to Miami, of course. Uh-huh. So that's where you fly in. But what happens is, and this is a lesson that is just true of every immigrant that ever comes to this country, is you try to go to where you know someone. That's the key thing. You gotta know someone because you gotta get into community because you gotta know how the rules work here. So uh, my uncle and aunt came a couple years earlier. They lived in Chicago. So after we met my aunt in Miami, we stayed there for two days and there was a lot of paperwork that happened with that I have no idea, very long and boring days. We moved to Chicago. So on July uh, I think it was like the second week of, of, of July, if that long. It was probably a lot so sooner. We moved to Chicago, and that's where we lived for the next 40 years. Wow. Incredible. Now, and you can ask any, you guys can ask yeah. questions. I don't want to be the only one talking, <laughs> but great. I'm just curious as a kid coming here. Yeah. So you didn't speak any English. None. So what was that like? <laughs> like, how did you learn? That was, you know, it is very in- interesting because. I, I've asked myself the same question. Uh, one of the short answers to that is TV. Mm-hmm. 
and Bugs Bunny and things like that, you'd be mm-hmm. surprised how much you, you know. But the truth of the matter is you're absolutely right. I knew no, no English whatsoever. Um, so we got here in July. Uh, by, by the way, one of the things that I will say before this is that we get, we land in Miami with only a suitcase and immediately there were various charities that helped us out. Really? Gave us clothes, gave us something to go. Then we moved to Chicago and there were the other charities that helped us out, you know, clothes. Hey, you, you, you need coat for the winter. You need school supplies. You need whatever you need. We can help you with. They, they, they got us an apartment. The government uh, was very helpful too. They gave my family a green card and that's a big deal. So the government, the, the U- U- United States government was exceedingly exceedingly helpful they they really saved our 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 lives in a very real way Uh, so they were very helpful so I mean I I just want to throw that out because um, in our current atmosphere sometimes people tend to really um, poo-poo the US and what it does and I will tell you that from my perspective and me and my family are so very grateful for this country. Awesome. And we will always be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it literally changed our, our lives. But back to, to your question. So here I am, a six, six-year-old boy. First day of school. Okay, I don't... People are talking... But you don't understand what they're saying at all. Mm-hmm. There was no English as a second language class. That, they just put me in a first grade class. And there I was. And people... And it, it, it was to the point that... I, so I sat next to some young kid. I mean, we were both six, and uh, and he just helped me out. So when when it was time for me to do anything, I I just copied his paper. After <laughs> after after the letters N A M E, I would put Joey, and he would oh say yes. He would shake his finger. No, 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 it's you, you. So you point. Oh, okay. So that's Carlos, not Joey. Um, but uh, so <laughs> the first day, uh, I you know. Uh, again, totally new. The the bell rings and we get to go outside. What a glorious thing! So we go outside. It's it's early in the morning. We weren't there too long, and I said, I guess school here is out. So I walked home. Oh no! Yes, yes. My, the <laughs> teachers, the school principals, everybody calls my aunt, who called my grandma, and say, Is Carlos there? Well, yes, he's there. Because my grandma asked me, What are you doing home? They let us go. They let you go. It's only ten thirty. Yeah. I know, isn't that one? They just let us go. <laughs> well, it turned out that it was recess. Oh my gosh. But nobody told the little Cuban guy that it was recess. So I walked up. So I learned, though, this, this is recess. You get to go outside. But yes, for, for that whole year, um, I cannot tell you one thing that I understood in first grade. Wow. Hmm. Wow. Um, you know, it, uh, it's, it's really interesting. Because, and then, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to look, you're trying to learn, and you're trying to assimilate as best as you can. Uh, so, you know, and, and I wasn't sure, right? Is it, it was last time that I said something, I got in trouble. Well, this time I didn't get in trouble because nobody knew what I was saying, but <laughs> I didn't say much. Um, but, and uh, so, so, yeah, so my cousins, I had some cousins here. And, uh, and, 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 um, and they were very, very helpful because they have been here already three years. So by comparison, they have lived here a lifetime. Yeah. 
So they were able to, so, so the way you get into the culture is you go somewhere where people of your kind are, you make friends with those people, and you just ask a lot of questions. How do things work? And, and, uh, and that's how it works. What was the point where you felt like you kind of knew what it was like to be an American? Like you, you understood what was going on? I, that's a really good question. You know, what, what was that point? Still it, figuring it out. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that as of today, I'm still trying to figure it out. But, but that's almost like asking, when did Peter the Apostle become a Christian? Mm. You know, there were so many points that you can say, oh, it was here when he started following Jesus, for example, or it was here. So for, 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 for me, it was more of a history. I, there, there were moments that I felt like I'm getting this because what I was trying to do was I was trying to be a little American boy and it was really painful at times because I didn't look the part when I was in third grade in my ap apartment complex uh, there it's you know it's the city of, of Chicago it's a three-story apartment there was an old man that would kind of give the kids a hard time so I me and my friend who happened to be Cuban but very fair skin were complaining so he the old man got into conversation with us and um, I, I was in third or fourth grade so I by now I'm actually understanding the language quite well uh, and he says you talking to my friend you could pass for an American because you're very fair skin and I and I immediately got jealous I said and what about me he says no not you. <laughs> and, and, and those words were words that were incredibly painful. Yeah. Because how can I change the way I look? Right? Um, but to your point, one of the things that really helped, though, so in fifth grade, in fifth grade, I remember giving my first talk, you know, and, and uh, people appreciated it and, and they understood it really well. They didn't uh, make fun of the accent. Uh, so when, when you start to lose your accent, that's a big thing. Um, and I had a friend in, in school that every year when I got back from summer, like for example, we would end fifth grade, have summer, come back in sixth grade, he would immediately start talking with me and he says, ah, your accent is getting better. And by eighth grade, you know, several years later, I came back, he says, it's really, really good. So I said, yes, I am becoming an American. <laughs> so in, in, uh, in 1996, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, 1976, the bicentennial year, I, my mother, uh, because you had to be here five years to be able to apply for citizenship. So in, nine, in, uh, in 1976, on our bicentennial, they had in Chicago a big deal. So 200 people got to become citizens that day. Oh. And we were two of those 200. Wow. So, so that was really, really cool. So that was another milestone, right? Where, ah, I'm now an American citizen, don't you know? Uh, and uh, I helped my mother pass that test. So, so it would have been like a total of nine years from the point where your family decided we want to leave Cuba to the point that you got citizenship. Is that about right? Let's see. Uh, four and six. No, uh, yeah, 10. 10. 10? Oh, wow. 10, 10 years. We, we probably decided in 1966. 
to leave. We got to leave in 70, and it wasn't until 76 that we got to become well, decade. Yeah. yeah. I think that brings us to one point we wanted to talk about, which is, I think it's when we're talking about immigration, especially with maybe some evangelical friends, I've heard people say things like, well, it should just, can't they just be legal? Can't they just get citizenship? But it doesn't seem as though it's that easy. I mean, you guys came and did everything the correct way. Yeah. And it still took 10 years. So um, as I was doing some research on this topic, there seem to be three main paths to become a U.S. citizen. So there's employer-based immigration where maybe someone, like there's a company that hires someone from another country, they bring them here, and that's their path to immigration. Mm -hmm. Family-based immigration, which is probably kind of what you talked about, where there was a sponsorship going on. Yes, but in, in ours, it was a little caveat in that we were political asylum. Okay, so, because then the mm-hmm. third way that people um, might attain citizenship is through asylum. So yes. it was maybe a blend of those, of those two in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one other one, which is a lottery system, oh. which you basically put your name on a list and you hope that your name gets Mm. And that can happen in the next day or fifteen years later. Wow. Yes, or never. Or wow. never. And and I and I know people in Cuba that they they have that system actually even today to come here in Cuba. There's a lottery or to leave the country to go anywhere. Yes, and where they want to come is here. Oh, okay. Uh, but yes, and I I forget how many, but there's like twenty or twenty five people a year that win the lottery. Right and uh, and 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 like you said, the as an example of Cuba, which is which is an island of eleven million people. Now, granted, not all eleven million want to leave, <laughs> but even if several million want to leave, the odds of your name being pulled may be like like you you, you were saying to tomorrow, but more likely in many many years. So it's not as simple as just saying, "I think I want to go to America and become a U.S. citizen." Not from Cuba, it's 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 not, mm-hmm. and actually not from anywhere. Actually, <laughs> yeah. not not yeah. most places. Yeah, hmm. I know. I have a friend who we will hopefully have on at some point. Who um, his family was from Nepal, um, and they had been forced into Nepal because their country of origin had decided that their entire ethnic group was no longer allowed in the country. Yeah. And so they just forced them all into a refugee camp in Nepal where eventually he, him and his family got lucky, mostly because they were the rare Christian Nepali family, mm. which made the U.S. more willing to take them eventually. But they waited, I think, almost 10 years before they were able to come, mm. just living in a, basically a refugee camp. Wow. wow. Yeah. I have, I have um, a, couple, a couple things I want to say. And ask you, Carlos. Um, one thing I wanted to say real quick, though, um, in in preparation for thinking about this whole episode, um, what what I was going to mention at the beginning of the oh, episode. Oh, sorry, I cut you <laughs> no, off. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, if you're looking for a wonderful uh, kids movie on this on this topic, uh, go check out Paddington uh, and Paddington Two and Paddington <laughs> Bear. I'm being. I'm. It's 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 a lighthearted comment, but it's actually very serious. It's a story about a bear who who escaped or he, he's fleeing from Peru and he comes to America and no one wants him and he's he's outside in the cold and the training and he's got no shelter no food and the family takes him in and it's a wonderful story oh, I want to see it's Paddington a great it's, now. And it's actually like really well done too so it's it's one of like the better animated films in the last you're, you're really decade. embracing your Kevin Porter aren't I know you? <laughs> I really am I really am um, but um, but I wanted to ask um, Carlos you mentioned some 
um, organizations or nonprofits that were really helpful along, along with the government, um, but they were like really, really helpful. Um, were any of those like faith-based or, or church-based or? The, like yeah, actually they were all church-based. Okay. Uh, in, in Chicago is a very Catholic town. So Catholic charities yeah. were a big, big deal. Um, and I know that there were some, some Lutheran or, or organizations too. So actually, uh, as far as I know, the majority of of the charities that helped us were all faith based, um, and then of course you have family and friends yeah. that 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 help you too. But but the stuff that we got were all uh, faith based. Yeah, that's that's great, and that's that's one of the things we definitely want to talk about in this episode is um, how might the church enter into this? Um, how can they be helpful? What's been the dialogue up until now? So, yeah. Um, I guess I have a question as well. I mean, and because you are older than us and you immigrated here a long time ago, not recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to turn this epi- episode and just make it seem like it's going one way politically, but I am curious to maybe hear your opinion on how immigration is viewed now as it maybe like how different is it viewed when you were coming here? Maybe there was a specific rhetoric or idea around immigration. You know, we read the quote that's on the Statue of Liberty. How has it changed? And it seems as though some people have a misconception about the people that are trying to come here, that they're coming here to rape people and sell mm-hmm. drugs. And that's obviously not always the case. But in what way has you, have you seen this change, I guess, since when you immigrated to now? What people's different mindsets about it? I feel that I was, for the most part, accepted by the culture, mm-hmm. while at the same time, you know, uh, there was no question that there were uh, some kids that are kids that would make fun of whatever. But for in general, you know, especially with the adults, with with teachers, and and you know, go to the market or whatever, I I never felt uh, any fear. Uh, I, I was, my family, for example, never had to live with the, um, concern that somebody would ask them for our papers, you see, uh, last, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Phoenix and I was with friends that live in, in, in Phoenix and they say, well, now it's to the point that if, if, if we want to go to Los Angeles, we take our passport with us. Now, he's Mexican, uh, born in the States, but he looks Mexican. Yeah. So uh, he just out of, you know, out of just making sure that he dots the I, crosses the T and doesn't get pulled aside, he will... Uh, take his papers with, and his wife will too, and she's an American citizen, but you know what? Uh, people in a certain area will just assume, I'm not going to trust you until I, I know. So I, I think that the biggest change uh, is just the, uh, the fear yeah, and suspicion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's it's like, what what's uh, going on here? And and there's no question that there are some people that are some bad apples that, you know, but can we really say that none of us are not bad apples too? Yeah. Uh, so what I can tell you is that I, I, the majority of the people are just simply trying 
to get a better life. Yeah. That's it. And it seems as though there, I mean, there's a variety of reasons people would flee their country of origin. You know, I think we would all agree on that. Um, some reasons could be religious, national, social, racial, or political persecution of some kind. Um, maybe there's a war in their home country that they're trying to flee from. Um, sometimes it could even be like gender or sexual orientation issues, hunger, climate change. But I think it's, you know, unfair, like you said, for the your friends who are citizens to just be judged or to be feared because they look like immigrants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's just that's painful. Yeah, and it, and it just when we're talking about this, it just it, it makes me. Everyone has a story, and that's what that's a theme we we've in the last nine episodes we've keep returning to is everyone has a story, everyone has a context, and the the narrative of saying that a majority of people that are trying to you know come come to America are have bad intentions um, that's completely ignoring their story and their context, and it's one dimensional and it's not doing justice to God's creation, you know, image bearers that are seeking seeking a, a new life, you know? Um, John, you are being rather kind. In my mind, it's just stupid and ignorant what people are, because think about this. Why? <laughs> Carlos is telling it how it is. Well, no, I mean, but I mean, because unfortunately, when you have a bad experience, now you can maybe taint the world with that experience. But in our case, I can definitively say that we would rather not have left Cuba. Wow. Okay, think about the simple reality of the example that I gave earlier. Okay, you got a day to leave, go. What do you take with you? Who wants that? Nobody. Who wants to leave the, their country? Who wants to leave the people they know? Who wants to leave the restaurants they know? Who wants to leave the movie theaters, the friends, the schools, the beaches they know? Who wants to leave what they know? Mm-mm. And the short answer is no one wants to leave what they know unless... What they know is so oppressive yeah. and dangerous and, uh, and, and downright, uh, uh, you know, limiting to what you can do that you are hoping for a better future. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, the hoping and the realization of the future, there's a thing that happens in between that hope and the realization. And you know what that is? Years. Years of life. Years of life that while there, you know, you, you can be, I mean, we live, you know, one year to the next doing the things that we're doing. An immigrant comes to a country and you're like taking a step back because now you're an infant. You don't know the culture. You don't know the language. You don't know anything. And, and the problem is that when we look at people that cannot speak as well as we can, we make judgments. Oh, mm. they're obviously not educated. No, they're trying to learn your language, by the way. You know? yeah. So there's just so many uh, judgments and all that. Um, to your point, I recently had a conversation with a pastor about American flags in churches mm-hmm. and should they be there? Do, is it uh, appropriate for them to be there? And it, and the conversation ended up going in a direction where um, I mentioned the fact that there could be immigrants or people who are refugees coming to our Sunday services. And, you know, they're here because maybe they don't 
necessarily want, they're thankful that they yeah, have asylum, absolutely. but they didn't come here. Oh, like I'm so excited to be in America because they would rather be in their country. And the pastor said, well, if they're here, they obviously want to be here. Well, yes, of course they obviously want to be here, but that's not plan A. Yeah, exactly. Right? They're here because plan A didn't work out. Yes. You know, they're here because here is better than there, uh, but it's not what your heart's desire is. Right? It just isn't. But that's kind of frustrating. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I was frustrated too. <laughs> I was frustrated too. Yeah. I think that kind of like gives us a good segue into like the discussion of the border crisis mm -hmm. and like what's been going on down there. Because I don't think a lot of people really understand the situation. Explain the border crisis in 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, Just kidding. Like, let's, let's condense a major international <laughs> yeah. problem into oh, yeah. five minutes of yeah. podcast. Um, so there's kind of two different issues that are at play here. Um, the first big one is that most countries have quotas for how many people are allowed to come from those countries. Um, and that, that quota does not vary with the size of the country. So if you're Malta that has like, you know, 5,000 people total, or your China, who has millions, you have the same quota for how many people that can come to the country. Interesting. Um, so if we're past that quota, no matter how many people need to leave their country for refugee or asylum issues, they can't get in, which is why we have a big camp on our border of people waiting to get in, because we've mostly hit our quotas for countries like Mexico and Guatemala and much of Latin America. Um, the other issue is that certain types of refugee and asylum status require you to already be in the United States to apply for them, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, because if you can't apply, it becomes a, a catch-22 where you can't apply without being in the U.S. But to be in the U.S., you have to already have some sort of immigration um, documentation. Mm -hmm. And so... What had historically been done is you would go to the border, you would flag down an immigration officer, um, someone working in the border. They would basically write you a ticket, like a misdemeanor, literally the same level of, of like severity as a parking ticket, and say, you need to come to this court date, and then they'll d deal with your issues. And then at, at that court date, they would decide whether they can proceed with your immigration status. What's happened in the last few years, though, is that instead of making that a misdemeanor and it's just a, a formality, now it's become a felony, and we're treating it like someone committed a murder. Wow. Um, so we haven't had like a massive increase in, say, people coming, um, though countries like Venezuela and Guatemala that are in major disruption right now yeah. are definitely sending more than they have in the past. The problem is that we're treating them very differently than we ever have before, which is creating this larger um, grouping of them that are just froze because they made this massive journey um, to get away from an oppressive regime or gang violence. Mm -hmm. And then they found out that they weren't going to get let in or that they had to wait five years for their quota, their spot in the line to proceed and all they can do is wait. Wow. Yeah, we've um, we've been watching um, on on Netflix. There's a really good documentary called 
undocumented, I believe it's what it's called, it is, yeah. um, which I think is like produced by like Salida and Gomez, which is interesting. But anyway, um, <laughs> it follows like six different stories. Uh, we haven't watched it all yet, but six different stories of people in various different contexts. And um, some have who are currently living in America, but living undocumented or having to go through the whole process all over again. Some are, it's all different stories. But anyway, the common theme though is, um, is time that it all takes a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot of time. And that's a lot of what your story was as well, Carlos. That's right. Yeah. So much like time has been a, a, a theme that, that it's really important to remember. Um, again, the story of people are coming for different reasons. Sometimes it's to, to flee from oppression. Um, Katie, I know you, you wanted to bring up a book that, that recently came out. Well, it's a kid's book. So it's by Eric Metaxas who wrote, he's written, um, several books. One of his most probably famous books is a book on Bonhoeffer. Um, people regard this person as a pretty, you know, legit yeah. author, yeah. but he, um, wrote a children's book called Donald drains the swamp. Mm-hmm. And this is just the product description. If you go on Amazon, it says the cavemen need help. Their king has forgotten all about them. Thanks to the swamp creatures who surround their, their castle. They're slippery and scaly and slimy. Donald is just a caveman, but when the people ask for his help, he realizes there's only one way to save the kingdom. Drain the swamp. Wow. And the monsters he's referring to are illegal immigrants. Oh my gosh. This is <laughs> uh, a Christian author? This is a children's book, and this is a Christian author. So what do you guys think about this? Well, I mean, I think that the question is, how would anybody like to be referred to as a slimy, scary creature? Hello? Right? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that is just, you know, for for us to say that there aren't uh, some people that do uh, illegal things coming into this country, and, you know, you can argue if you're here illegally, you're already doing something illegal. Okay. But I'm talking about harmful things. There, for us to say that everybody that comes into this country is a wonderful saint that just wants to do something better is to be naive. But for us to say that everybody that comes into this country has evil intentions is equally naive and more so when you compare the percentage of one versus the other, right? If, if you've got uh, uh, 5% of the people doing one thing and 95% of the people doing something else and you put them both in the same bucket, that is uh, really just wrong, all right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not, yeah, so. My fear is that this is a Christian author right. and that this is something that Christians are buying into. And these are ch- books that we're buying for our children, I think this comes back to something we've discussed before that uh, neither political party is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And anytime either of them conflicts with the word, our duty is to the word and not to the political party. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of evangelical America has kind of forgotten that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, I'm I'm hoping that um, voices like this podcast will eventually move us back into a more sane um, approach to a lot of these issues. Um, but we need to stop offloading um, 
our ethical discussions onto the um, the platforms of political parties. And my, I think we have to remember that we are all here, unless you are someone, a First Nation person, person. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was a weird statement. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. First go Nation, ahead. We understood. Uh, descendant, there's a better word. Yeah. Then we are all, we were all immigrants at one time. We were all immigrants. And like we said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Um, those people came here to escape religious persecution. People came here to have religious freedom. They did a lot of other things that were wrong and persecuted the people that were already here. But we have to remember, like we came here as foreigners. Jesus was a refugee. I mean, that's also important to remember. First year or so in Egypt, but it's not right. I've, you know, you hear people jokingly say things like, um, I hope to God none of my friends have ever said something like this, but they just need to go back to where they came from. And they're refer- I mean, some of them are referring to African Americans, which they're only here because we brought them here unwillingly. But when we say things like that, how, how hurtful and harmful is that when we, we were immigrants when we came here as well yeah, as a white person. It's so short, short sighted too. Um, I know a pretty much every ac- economic like leader or economist agrees that in the long run, um, even those without a lot of skills, um, when it, when someone immigrates to the U S they eventually create more value than they draw from services and things like that. Um, and as Carlos has pointed out, like, um, while the actual act of entering the U S illegally may be a crime, ignoring that single incident Generally, even illegal aliens do less crime in the U.S. statistically than average citizens because they understand how important it is for them to be here. There's there's more at stake for them. And St. Louis in particular, I think it's very easy to forget that we are, even more so than a lot of other places, a city of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Started with the French and then Germans after them. Um, Jews fleeing World War II. We have a large Bosnian community, Nepali community, um, Ethiopian community, several other West African countries. Um, we, and those countries are what makes a lot of St. Louis really great. It's why places like South Grand are hubs of economic activity in our city, is because people come from other countries with experiences, food, um, cultures that are different than ours, and they gr- add that to the the larger tapestry of our city, making it just a little bit better in that mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And I think when we forget that and we just focus on the inconvenience of having to interact with someone whose English isn't great, yeah. we are being both unkind and incredibly short-sighted. Mm. There's a part of the story that deals with being an immigrant long-term that may not be as applicable because what we're talking or what we were just talking about was what's happening today with the border crisis and and what happens with the people that just cross the border and what do we do with them and how do we view them and all that. But there is a very interesting thing uh, in regards to uh, being an immigrant and what it and what that thing is, Casey, you were saying about uh, 
the strengths that other people bring to the culture. And an interesting thing is, in part of my story was, I really, really wanted to assimilate. I wanted to become an American. Mm-hmm. And, but what happened was that I, I lost touch of my Cubanness, something that I am. Yeah. Right. And that's a very interesting story for the personal refugee who's coming from a different country. You go to, uh, you were born in country A, you go to country B, you try to be country B as much as you can to survive, but there's an A of you in, in you that's part of who you are. That's not, that's not just part of who you are uh, as a, just a fact. No, it's part of who you are emotionally. It's part of who you are spiritually. And, and, and it's, the, it's part of who you are as a person. And it's really, and it took me a long time. So I was a Cuban who came to America, became an American, and then had to go through a process of becoming a Cuban again. And that is uh, a twist that people really don't think about. You've, most of my friends who are born in the United States just that is such a foreign concept because we were born in the United States. We're Americans Mm -hmm. and you've never had to deconstruct your Americanism to become something else, realizing that, and you know, and it was understandable. Why, why would this kid want to become an American? Because we wanted to fit in and we wanted to survive, but at what cost? And uh, that's a deep thing, right? That's a deep thing. And uh, so when I, the, the uh, a statement that hit me to the core, you know, so my, in my years, my goal was lose my accent, lose my accent. So I live, we moved to Chicago, but then a couple years after we came from Cuba, most of my family went to Miami. So, but my mother was in the process of getting an education there. So we stayed in Chicago. There are not, we didn't have as big of a Cuban community in Chicago. So therefore, uh, our friends and the people we hung out with, we primarily spoke English. So there was a a, a day, and I remember it well, I was a teenager, I went back to Miami to visit my family, and they said, how ironic, he came to this country not knowing English, and now he's in this country and he doesn't know Spanish. Mm. So then my people, the Cuban people, had something like, you're not even one of us anymore. Uh, So there there is more to a story than one thing. But I mean, so so that, I, I, I know that that is a deeper and a different topic than what we're talking about, but I would just like people to consider that. Yeah, no, I think that's totally relevant to the conversation that, and I think that's something we want is that, we have a tendency to make all of these conversations very like two dimensional, very flat. And there's all depth to them that we don't consider most of the time. And yeah, we're happy to learn whatever we can from your experiences. And especially if we can use them to better inform how we treat other people. Mm -hmm. And part of your story now is uh, you are a pastor. 
yes. uh, of a church here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the the unique pleasure of being able to uh, lead people um, in God's word and challenge them and uh, teach them. And I've, I've heard you speak and you're, you're a great speaker and a great teacher. So oh, thank you, John. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> but part of a part of, you know, this episode, and we definitely want to make sure we spend time on is, you know, what, what might, what might the Bible say about, about um, refugees, um, about our, about Jesus, who was an immigrant? What might the Bible say about how the church might interact on this issue uh, and not making, um, not entering into politics as Casey was mentioning. It's not a partisan thing. It's, it's what might God's people, um, what might the call be for in, in this topic? As we always say, it's not a political issue. It's a kingdom issue. Kingdom issue. Exactly. So as believers in Jesus, what is, what should our response be? How should we treat immigrants and refugees and people who are coming here seeking asylum what is our, what's the appropriate response? And I think that, you know, um, one of the verses that is a hallmark for me in an appropriate response is, well, what does God say about it? Mm -hmm. And not just what does God say about it today, but this was an issue back in the day, back in the day of Leviticus day, Mm -hmm. where God says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And, you know, that kind of says it all, right? I mean, uh, our, our foreigners brothers and sisters are our neighbors. Yeah. And Jesus's response to how to treat our neighbors is very clear. Mm-hmm. Love them. Mm-hmm. Love that, them. And that's not just an Old Testament issue. If you go back to like the story of the Good Samaritan and the New Testament, yeah. when Jesus has asked the question, who is my neighbor? That's the verse that he's referring to, that the whole conversation is about. And he gives a very clear answer that we've discussed before, but it's basically love them as yourself and go further than you probably think you should have to. And Samaritans and Jews, if you read that story, I mean, you know, the cultural context, they had nothing to do with each other. So Jesus is using this parable showing like, this could be someone who on paper is your enemy you know, maybe your culture, maybe your government, maybe your president has told you to fear these people, but you are choosing to love them because Christ first loved you and show mercy to them, even when it doesn't make sense. Yep. Even when you don't want to. Especially when you don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when it doesn't make sense. Because what we tend to do is we tend to forget uh, that we're all foreigners, mm-hmm. really, yeah. in one way or another. Yeah. And, uh, and the day we think that we're something is uh, the day we find out that we're not, you know. And, and that's why I think that in loving your neighbor as yourself, what we are challenged to do by, by Jesus, I think, is in whomever we meet, whatever their background, whatever their place in life is, can we find and see the Jesus in them? Can we look them in the eye and say, Jesus, where are you and who are you in this person? And what can you teach me through them? Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, that's got chills. Yeah. Right. That, that is the challenge that I think 
Jesus would offer us, right? Yeah. I think about, there's been some studies in the last few years about how uh, the language that you speak affects how you view the world and how if you, say, if you, you speak a language that doesn't have tenses or like doesn't express time well, you your relationship to time becomes different. And I think there's a good chance that the, the English that we speak in America to some degree um, affects how we view scripture. And by getting voices around us that grew up with other languages that read scripture with different translations, we can see a broader, more correct view of what the Bible is trying to say without that specific linguistic bias in it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's great that people like you have come to the U S and are now preaching and teaching the word. I think that's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. You know, I, to my Anglo brothers and sisters, the challenge that I would extend to them is when you hear something that it's just not right, would, would you say something? Would you speak up? Because when I do it, and I will do it, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is I'm Latino. So it's like, yeah, he's a little defensive and he's a little something or other. But when you do it, it carries a different weight because... Uh, it's coming from somebody who's not from that culture who's learning to em- embrace it. So I, I, I think that there is a challenge for all of us, right, mm-hmm. uh, in, in this whole topic. As a pastor, as a Christian, as someone who's immigrated here, Carlos, what do you feel as though the church, the evangelical church, could do better to welcome immigrants? Or what could, yeah, I guess what could, how could we welcome immigrants or what churches and religious organizations are doing a really yeah. good job of uh, welcoming and uh, doing well by immigrants? Well, I know that there are some or- organizations in the St. Louis area that are doing a very good job. I we work a lot with Oasis. In, I was in just about to bring that up. Right yeah. down the street you know, from me. And uh, those are, you know, they're they're doing God's work, right? Yeah. They, I mean, because, you know. We, we have to be able to meet people's needs mm-hmm. to be able to build a relationship. And, um, and if, if we are not interested in building a relationship, a relationship with people from other countries uh, and being proactive and intentional, then I would say we're not interested in people from other countries. The kingdom of God is going to look very different than maybe people think it's going to look. Revelations paints a glorious oh, picture. Beautiful right? picture. A glorious picture of every tribe, every people, every nation. You know, it's it's it, it's so it's very interesting, and that's why for me personally, it was important to go back to my Cuba history. Because, you, you know, it's, it's in, in, in baseball, uh, like uh, Mr. Pujols, right? He's a, <laughs> he's a great Cardinal, and he, but he's played for the Anaheim Angels for a long, because he did what he had to do, and that makes sense, blah, blah, blah. But we say, hey, when you get elected into the, world's, uh, into the Hall of Fame, what hat will you be wearing, Albert? Will it be a Cardinals hat, or will it be an 
Angels hat. And uh, everybody thinks it, it'll be, it has to be a St. Louis hat, of course. But so I asked myself the same question in a silly way. Where will I be sitting in, in heaven when I'm praising the Lord from every mm. tribe, people, and nation? Will I be with my United States family or will I be with my Cuban family? Will we be next to each other? Uh, but, you, you know, there is a reality that we maintain our heritage. And because the Lord gave us to be different people, that means by definition that there is a part of God that we will not know and understand and fully appreciate unless we get to know other cultures. And, and, and so we are doing a great disservice to our own discipleship, to our own walking, to our own understanding of who, who God is by living in our little bubble of safety and comfort. So in wrapping up this episode, we wanted to do something really special, especially because Carlos just mentioned um, what the kingdom of God will look like. In the book of Revelation, um, John talks about every tribe, every tongue, every nation being represented. And in our preview episode, if you listen to that, or if you go back and listen, you hear us talk about how the goal of this podcast is not for everyone to agree on everything politically or theologically, but it's for us to realize that as Christian brothers and sisters, we have more in common than we are different. And, um, we always come back to those foundational truths of what scripture says. So we thought it would be really awesome to have Carlos read the Apostles' Creed in Spanish. Creo en Dios, Padre Todopoderoso, Creador del Cielo y de la Tierra. Creo en Jesucristo, su único Hijo, nuestro Señor, que fue concebido por obra y gracia del Espíritu Santo. Nació de Santa María Vigner, padeció bajo el poder de Poncio Pilato, fue crucificado, muerto y sepultado. Descendió a los infiernos. Al tercer día res resucitó de entre los muertos, subió a los cielos y está a la derecha del Dios Padre. Desde allí ha de venir a juzgar a los vivos y a los muertos. Creo en el Espíritu Santo, en la Santa Iglesia Católica, la comunión de los santos, en el perdón de los pecados, la resur resurrección de los muertos y la vida eterna. Amén. Well, thank you, Carlos, for being on the show today. We just want to tell you how much we appreciate you for sharing your story with us and taking time out of your Thanksgiving weekend to come oh, and be no, on the it's, podcast. It, it, it was a pleasure. Thank you for asking. And more importantly, thank you for being in, interested <laughs> in it because uh, mm -hmm. not everybody is. Yeah, we're definitely interested. And we hope to have many more um, episodes on the topic of immigration, the border crisis, and everything related to that. So if you are someone who's listening and you are an immigrant or you know someone who immigrated to America, someone who's a refugee, we would love to talk to them about this and just continue this conversation. Um, if you have not rated, reviewed, or subscribed to the podcast, please do all three of those things. Uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can also follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 
Turning Pod and share the episode with a friend. If you can just screenshot yourself listening to this, you can put it in your Instagram story, tag us, tell people that you're enjoying it. If you're with family this holiday season, pull it up, have them listen. And um, we'd love to just hear your thoughts. Tweet at us, DM us, and tell us what you're thinking. We would love to continue the conversation. Until next time, go in peace.